Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with somebody who I've known a long time. I'm super excited to uh, sit down and talk with him. Doss Williams, how are you? I'm doing great. It's very cool to be here in your backyard, right <laughs> at the doorstep of Isla Vista. Uh, it seems it's almost like we're back in grade school. Exactly. So let me just talk a little bit about you before we get going with the interview here. But, you know, Doss Williams met back in Isla Vista Elementary School a long time ago. And of course, way back then, who knew that, you know, you'd be where you're at and I'd be where I'm at. We're just, you know, two kids on the playground. And um, it's just kind of crazy to see how far uh, you've come. And, you know, what you've done and, you know, your whole story of kind of having a rough high school time and then going to Santa Barbara City College and then going to Berkeley and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but turning your life around and, you know, finding education and finding your passion and then coming back to the community that you uh, mostly grew up in and uh, giving back and giving your, your public service. And, you know, you uh, when I was covering the city hall at the Santa Barbara News Press, I think you were 29 and you're like, who is this guy thinking he's going to come here at 29 years old? You were a living wage activist, as I recall. And uh, you're working with, uh, was it Cause? Was that the group you're with? Yeah. And uh, a lot of people wrote you off, like thinking you were just like a, a, a young guy with a lot of ambition, but you quickly proved that no one works harder than you and you were connected. You knew how to organize and just been crazy to watch you grow since then. You got elected and then you did, you were elected twice and then you went to the state assembly, which is like crazy. You know, you did six years, right? In the assembly and making laws and assuming a high profile. And then again, coming back to Santa Barbara to serve on the, the board of supervisors. And as some of you know, I worked for DOS in two different stints for about two and a half years, whatever it is. And, uh, DOS was really cool because when the daily sound went out of business very abruptly, um, I was sort of like, okay, what am I to do now? <laughs> because there's not a lot of places for a journalist to work in Santa Barbara. And, uh, you know, DOS answered the door and, and uh, gave me an opportunity to work at the state assembly. And um, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And it's sort of like uh, uh, cool that I was got to see what government work is like and developed a whole new appreciation for Hillary Blackerby and Darcel and Ashley and Amisha and, you know, all those people. Like, it was really good for me, actually, as a journalist, because wow, journalists, we tend to be like high and mighty, right? Like we're changing the world, you know, and the government bureaucrats and like, damn, these people do a lot of work, you know? And so that was, that they was really so hard. Josh. Yeah. But, you know, that's the thing that people need to realize is that if there's an elected official that you think is effective, um, it has a lot to do with who is working for them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Darcel has worked for me since 2008. Um, you know, he, uh, her passion, her hard work is, is part of the reason why I have been able to deliver on my promises. And it's also a reason kind of, I guess, why I'm in this place now where I feel like I'm just in a long-term relationship with the, the people of, of Santa Barbara County. And we know each other really well. And, uh, you know, we don't always agree on every single thing, but um, people have learn to rely on from the DOS and Darcel team is um, that we work hard, uh, are thoughtful about what we're trying to do, and um, 
and that we deliver on our promises, um, no matter how long or how hard uh, it is to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that. And Darcel, she got me hooked on the iced caramel macchiato at Starbucks. That's that's what I every time I order one of those damn things today, I think of Darcel because she's like she's like, I'm going to Starbucks. You want anything? I'm like, no. Okay. You sure? Okay, I'll get this. And then she brought me back this drink and I'm like, oh my God, this thing is gold. This thing is, you know, great. But I mean, I, I developed appreciation for what those workers do behind the elected official. And so we got kind of this long history. I know you won't say I was the best employee you ever had, but, um, you know, that's the cool thing. Like, you know, I love journalism and uh, I, I, I found my way back to that. And that is what I do best. And I, I enjoy it. And so it's been really cool to have that experience. It just parts of builds and I have great appreciation for the type of stories that I do when I talk to government employees. So I do see it as beneficial. And those government benefits, Doss, and the assembly, those things were amazing. So <laughs> I know. I never got to enjoy them, though. Like a legislator, you don't, you you don't get, get them. them. <laughs> uh, but, um, but I will say that uh, it's really good to see you back in journalism. And and I love this format. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and, and I feel like you've always been such a deep guy that almost journalism doesn't give you enough space to, to get this personal or get to the heart of something. And, and a podcast, you know, is able to do a little bit more of that. So it's great, great fun. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Always trying to climb a mountain and do new things, you know, and you got to push yourself to do that. And so I've been able to try this and see how it works. And I've had a blast. Let's dive right in to talk about where we're at right now. Uh, you are on the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors, and we just went back to the purple zone recently. And so we're right in the heat, um, heat of this whole thing with COVID-19. And now we're back, going backwards. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like. And since we are in my backyard, Doss, we got the airplanes going over. So uh, audience, you can put up with that. But can you talk about COVID-19 right now from, from your perspective as a supervisor? How bad is it? And you know, what should people be doing right now to sort of turn the corner again? Well, we are still going to have COVID for some time. We're hearing good news about uh, vaccines, but no one's ever tried to vaccinate the whole world. Um, uh, that is going to be a real challenge. And so just doing the number, all the first responders, all the critical healthcare workers, that's going to take a long time in and of itself. So for, for us, for me and you for, and your listeners, since I'm not a firefighter uh, or a, a police officer or a doctor, um, it's going to be a while until we'll, we're all vaccinated until um, we get out of it. And so I do think it, it means that we need to kind of learn from uh, where we've done the response right and where we haven't um, in the last nine months. And, you know, I think the biggest thing of where we could do better is to act with more empathy. Yeah. Um, you know, normally in natural disasters, and because I represent Santa Barbara, I've had a lot of natural disasters to have to navigate on on your behalf, usually pe people um, have an outpouring of, of compassion, of empathy. Um, in this case, because even though there's some people that are affected by the pandemic more than others, uh, there's been really a lack of empathy, mm -hmm. less empathy than, than I've ever seen in a, in a natural disaster. Uh, and, and that's a real challenge, you know, um, and it, I think it's because people are scared. How did it become so politicized? I mean, you have 
people who think that COVID is a hoax at the very extreme. Then you have others who say, oh, it only affects these populations and these parts of the county. And then you've got others who are shaming people if they're not having a mask out in public. You know, it's become very politicized. And like, what do you think is the sort of psychology behind that? And we just kind of live in a world now where everything is black and white and there's there's no sort of understanding of, of nuance or things in the middle? Why, why are we like this? I, I am not content to say that this is just the way it's going to be because yeah. I don't think that that's the way that politics or our um, life together should work. And we won't accomplish what we need to accomplish if we allow that division to stand. I think a lot of that division is there because uh, politics has gotten more divisive on both sides, um, but it's particularly been enhanced by um, the craziness of President Trump. Uh, and But it would be inaccurate to say that only Republicans have um, been influenced by that craziness. I find that almost everybody has caught a little bit of this craziness, right? That... that um, the intensity, the anger, um, the the sort of the lack of c- compassion, uh, we've all caught a little bit. And I, I really think that let let me just give you a real practical example. You know, for for mask wearing to be most effective, you need to get to a high percentage of the population. Something, that, you know, people vary in their estimates, but some estimates as much as eighty five percent. Right? We are not going to get to eighty five percent mask wearing if Republicans and young people don't join in. And I don't believe that we can get everybody to act together without having some empathy from about where they're coming from, yeah. their priorities. And, um, and so it's, you know, I don't think, I think it's been very challenging governing, but I've been trying to govern from a, a standpoint where the basic um, premise is that we need to be doing this together. Uh, and. And so it's different than just trying to win a, a majority in votes and pass legislation. Because, uh, you know, in the legislature, you can change the world as long as you can get 41 votes and the governor's signature. Um, but here with COVID, the only way you can change the world is if a lot of people are following your example. And so to me, that's been a, a, a very different way of trying to govern. And it's been a, a way of trying to me govern through um, trying to send the right messages to the public, uh, trying to be empathic um, and, and trying to um, understand and work with people who don't who don't come from the same frame of understanding. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's let's talk a little bit about you, Doss, because I think, you know, like as a reporter, I've probably spilled more ink on you <laughs> than any other local reporter over the years, uh, you know, when you were coming out, right, when you were this sort of this rising sort of political figure. Um, and I think, and I still to this day get it from people. I have people who just don't get you. Like they don't understand you. Like there's people who absolutely love you and they believe in you and they, 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 they know that you're really strong on all these issues. Right. And then there's the others who have these like a little bit of a skeptical edge. Right. They're always sort of questioning your motives. Right. So can you, let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's the most interesting thing is, is, you know, the Doss Williams that I, I think I see as a reporter, and so correct me, okay, you know, is, you know, he's an environmentalist, Absolutely. right? Number one, that's the I, thing that I, is, that, yeah, yeah, that has not changed at I will, all. I will not 
I will die on that hill. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, you're, you're definitely sort of a progressive, you're, you know, you're lefty, you're, 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 you're edgy, you know, you had that, uh, you know, sort of punk mentality as a Absolutely. kid growing up, that skate kid counterculture a little bit. Um, and I think even though you're in government, you still have that, you know, the way you approach government is very much of, I don't want to be doing what everyone else is doing, right? We want to make an impact. We want to make a difference. Um, and then over the years, you've sort of, uh, become a little bit more outspoken about maybe your uh, religious sort of um, um, uh, connections. You know, um, I don't know, you know, you're evangelical, you're Christian, uh, but you're also, uh, in my experience, very open and appreciative to people from all religions, you know, that you're very um, somebody who, who doesn't preach one way, you know, you're sort of respective, res you respect everybody where they come from. And I think that's a hard nexus that people are trying to figure out, like, how can he be this sort of Christian evangelical guy at the same time when he's a liberal Democrat? Right. So can you help me understand that and, and that nexus? And if I have it wrong, yeah. let me know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, personally, you know, uh, uh, theology and history are even uh, deeper interests of mine than, than, than politics. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I think that the fundamental quest uh, in the human condition is for meaning. Like, how are we useful? You know, and and what does it mean to live this? And uh, you know, I spent my formative years as a kid and a teenager as a a, a fanatical disciple of science, mm -hmm. and I am still a scientist. Mm -hmm. My training is in science, uh, but I just simply believe that there are mysteries and there are um, substance to this existence that's deeper than than the things that we can describe, and that they have meaning and they give us purpose. And and for me, they give me imperatives, right? Like uh, for me, it's been whenever the frustration of politics is deep, or or um, you know, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. I just know that the imperative of my faith is to make this life better, not just for my family, but for society. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I guess I would s say that number one, people's perception of a, of a contradiction between being an evangelical and being a Democrat um, ignores the fact that the majority of democratic um, uh, black voters are also evangelical, mm -hmm. and a, a good portion of Latino uh, Democratic voters are either evangelical or um, Protestant. Yeah. And Catholic Latino voters, I don't think I'm as strange as people maybe think um, <laughs> if they're looking at, at the context that, that uh, the majority of uh, Democrats um, are people of color, and the majority of people of color that are Democrats are people of faith. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe I'm a little bit, I stick out a little bit in some circles, uh, but in that context, I don't think we should be completely surprised. And, and I think that there, that the values of, of the world's great faiths um, transcend politics to a great degree. I don't think, you know, um, I don't think they're the, the, the realm of one political party. And, and I would say that if you, you know, re read uh, Christian or Jewish or, or Muslim scriptures from all more 
more familiar with than, than, than other faiths. Uh, some pretty radical stuff in this, you know? Um, uh, Isaiah 58 basically says, don't pray to me. Don't, don't, don't ask me for prayers if you're at the same time exploiting your laborers. You don't take care of the widows and orphans. You know, I mean, like, there's some pretty powerful economic justice and social justice um, uh, themes in in those books. And I would argue uh, sort of uh, the premise of a of a, a secular historian, Tom Holland, uh, that our entire concept of ethical be of ethics comes about from those 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 three faiths, Judaism, Christianity and Islam in Western civilization and that. The Western civilization that exists before the Greco-Roman, the moral worldview, we would not recognize that. Mm. We would not, we would consider it highly abhorrent. Mm. And so I think that, you know, the, the, the thoughts and the ethics that come out of that is valuable or should be valuable to folks, regardless of their faith or their lack, or if they, they don't belong to the faith. Because it's about um, how we build a better society how we um, treat a fellow human being and that the ways that human beings treated each other longer ago, 2000 years ago, is unacceptable and we should never return to that barbarism. Mm. And, you know, there's a couple of times in the last couple of centuries where we almost did. Do you think people are more skeptical of elected officials of color than not in, in Santa Barbara County? And I guess the question is, to what degree do you think the fact that, you know, you're Dohassan Galt Williams, Indonesian American who grew up, you know, in largely, you know, Mexican American neighborhoods and you, um, identify one way and you're multicultural and you're multi, like, do you think that that's part of a motivation for why people don't, are more skeptical of you? I do think so. Yeah. Because I don't think, I think part of the reason why certain people don't understand me is because, you know, ethnically or class-wise, economically, ethnically, class-wise, you know, in some ways, the ways that life has shaped me, my struggles versus their struggles, I'm just not one of them. Mm. Now, I'm going to pivot that a little bit by saying that's also what's beautiful about a place like Santa Barbara. Yeah. Okay, so in most of America, you have to be the same ethnicity as the majority of your voters. Yeah. That is like a truth that is almost emblazoned in stone for most of America yeah. and most of the world. You have to be a, of their same tribe. And the fact that Santa Barbara is a place understanding and tolerant and educated enough to elect someone who's not of, you know, a upper middle class, you know, tribe to me is part of what's beautiful about it. Yeah, uh, but it also means that some people just are never gonna understand. Right. So let's talk about fatherhood a little bit. You're somebody who integrates your kids into your life. You know, like where you go, a lot of times your kids go, Absolutely. and uh, I'm the same way, right? You know, and you know we're doing this podcast in my backyard because of COVID, <laughs> and also because I have kids here and I yep. can't leave them. You know, so um i really i like um recognize that in dads and parents who do that sort of thing so can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be a dad but also be so busy and how you manage all of that i'm not sure that i successfully manage it <laughs> uh, but i'm trying mm -hmm. uh well i first of all i love being a dad um it's the best thing i've ever done uh, you know i'm a fanatical surfer uh um semi fanatical about 
political change. But the most rewarding thing I've ever done is to hold my little girls in, in my arms and and to teach them a, about the world mm -hmm. um, and 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 to be able to teach them uh, my values. I mean, one of those things uh, uh, that is powerful is to teach my girls through my actions and modeling how to approach the world unafraid. Seems to be working well with you, Ash. Maybe a little too well. <laughs> but, Talking back. <laughs> and she's five now, and Kaya's two, and they're both different but amazing human beings. And I think most parents, particularly during COVID, have a lot of challenges, whether it's with childcare changes and online schooling and all this other 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 things. Well, I, I feel you because I'm there, mm -hmm. um, and it's shaped also what I think is a, a critique about that I have about about our sort of prioritization in COVID. And I think to me the simplest thing that um, you know, I'm I'm a clubber from way back, a raver from way back, but the idea that in most of America bars are open, but mm -hmm. in most of America elementary schools are closed, yeah. I think is the worst indictment how we handle this. Mm -hmm. like, what does that say about what our highest priority is? Is it really our highest priority? Mm -hmm. and how are we showing that? And I guess for myself, I try to show that my kids are my highest priority by giving them the time and being a present, active dad. So you can see me occasionally down in the harbor. Um, my daughter's, I think, the only five-year-old that has a little pink kayak of her own uh, paddling around the harbor. And, and, and now that there's uh, weekends in my life, which this year is the first time that's been true ever. Uh -huh. uh, been backpacking a lot with folks, yeah. uh, showing them the world uh, through that that way. So you can see me trying to juggle it sometime in, on the trails in, in Los Padres or, or down in the harbor. Yeah, I mean, I've had the pleasure of seeing you in nightclubs back in the day. <laughs> Rocks. I remember that was one of your hangouts. Uh, uh, doing your dance thing, you know, it's, which is like so cool. People don't understand that, like, you have a lot of down to earth sensibility qualities about you, in addition to also being this elected official who st served in the state state legislature. And so the irony for me is like, all people are like, he's fake. Like, actually, this is a guy who'll shave his head for <laughs> board meetings. You know, <laughs> he'll he'll go out dancing when he was, you know, like. He, it never struck me as really fake, but I think a lot of times people don't necessarily, or they, they think elect officials should be just kind of one kind of thing for sure. Yeah, uh, I'll definitely uh, take the bad strains. Uh, I'll cop the strains, but uh, fake, no. <laughs> I, I, I reject that entirely. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, schools, since you're mentioning that. Um, do you advocate for schools to to open up in the purple tier with a waiver if they have not opened up? We've got Glita and Santa Barbara who are in that, Glita Union, Santa Barbara Union who are in there. Of course, we'd have smaller schools who've already opened. Uh, do you do you advocate for opening in the purple and just making it work, or is it more complicated than that for you? Well, my biggest priority is to help school districts open when it's appropriate and when they choose. And I would just say that my experience of being a parent in a school district elementary uh, has opened. Yeah. So um, we're not a big school district, but we're bigger than the other ones that I've opened. Yeah. 
And our experience has been really good. Mask wearing is part of the regimen. Play get, there's really no centralized playground. Kids have to play in their, with their cohorts. They enforce uh, a, don't, a don't mix with people of the other cohorts. There are cohorts that are each there and half the time. And it's, it's working really well. I, that doesn't mean that I, um, you know, second guess everybody who's not doing it. But I will tell you that I question whether it is ultimately good for the health of particularly low-income students or students whose parents can't be at home all the time. And I would view it as essentially an existential threat to our entire public education because hundreds of thousands of parents are leaving. And for most of the state, funding is allocated for people. There's this great, every time there's tens of thousands of parents leaving a system, there is all the the energy, all the volunteerism, and there is dollars that are going away. And I just, I can't think that at an aggregate level that is good for kids in the nation. I also believe in following science. And the science uh, is a little mixed, but seems to be very, uh, after a while, conclusive on the side that kids under a certain age, that's 10 and under or thereabouts, do not communicate at the same rate, do not communicate the disease rates that older kids are adults. Yeah. And and I think that the science should have ramifications. So I think a harder question whether to open up a school where the kids are 19, 20, and 21, that's the university. And it's a lot, I think, to me, more understandable to be opening schools and, it, and to keep schools open when, uh, when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just based on the science. And based on all the research that's done in educational outcomes. Yeah. That the younger the kids are, the more they will be affected and shaped by how the educational system is set up. One of my former colleagues in the legislature, uh, someone who's very pro-union, by the way, very pro-teacher, uh, but he's critiqued the system as being state-sponsored segregation. How do you think you would have been as a, a Zoom kid back in the day? I can't imagine you being oh, successful. That would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I got educated by the, the, the powerful energies of, of some of my teachers and some of my influencers. But I'll tell you, if I was a, a Zoom high school student, I would I would find a way to fake it. Like I'd, <laughs> I'd log on and then I'd be like out surfing or uh, getting into trouble. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so I I, I guess a li- it's a little bit affected by, by, by my experience that a lot of people that can be good and redeeming parts of the society barely make it like we barely made it. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, are you, are you mentoring anyone these days? And I bring that up in the context of, I know like when you went to city college, you found Dr. K, Dr. Eskandari. I know you've credited them for, for helping turn things around for you from a political science perspective. Can you talk a little bit about who your mentors have been? And also, you know, what are you doing to give back, uh, you know, individually or to certain certain groups in the community? I think that is a, a, a great question, and I'll I'll say that I think it was going along good before COVID, and 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 I think I've totally failed. You know, I I I think that part of the reasons why inequalities persist in our society is because we, people just naturally tend to mentor people more like themselves. It's always been a port of pride for myself that. I have hired, mentored, and uh, supported women in politics, young women in politics, uh, 
And because part of, to me, the idea is if inequality persists because, we, because people naturally mentor people that are like them, then you go out of your way to mentor people that aren't just like you. Let's talk about politics and the political landscape. You uh, are a credible campaigner. You do the work. You knock on doors, you know, pre-COVID, and you, you, you are strategists, right? You could be running campaigns if you weren't doing them. Uh, you're, you're sort of like the total package in that regard. Like when you get somebody to work running one of your campaigns, you, you know what the job entails. Okay, um, so let's put your pundit hat on here a little okay, bit. Okay, all right, all right. What, what do you think of this? The, 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 the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party and how things are going. We just saw a whole bunch of conservatives trying to oust, like they ran for every seat in the county. Every education seat was contested and they didn't really have much success, but they did make things sort of complicated and interesting. And when that happens, Dems have to raise more money because of it. And then we got a mayor's race coming up and, you know, Kathy's, Kathy Maria, Mayor Kathy Maria's had a couple of public missteps. Uh, you know, looking out ahead, right? Like, what what do you think of the Santa Barbara mayor's race? Uh, do you have any thoughts on whether somebody can be successful challenging her, or is Kathy misunderstood and she's for the most part doing a good job? Like, what can you say? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think Kathy connects with a lot of people mm -hmm. right? more than what the political class realizes. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't. I didn't. Just for a preface for your uh, listeners, I didn't support Kathy when she ran. I supported Al Thompson. Yeah. But I'm planning on supporting Kathy for re-election mm -hmm. because I think it is really hard to do a great job during COVID. She's done a decent, good job and deserves our support. Do I think that there's more that City Hall needs to do to build housing downtown and get us out of the woods in terms of this long-term jobs housing and affordable housing uh, uh, question? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And But this council's moving that way and they're getting, they're pushing a staff to move harder. Yeah. And, and so I think that she's emblematic of that. And I also think that uh, people who, I don't think that, I think maybe Kathy maybe gets a little bit of it, uh, uh, the, the, the flack that I do because Kathy also comes from a little bit a different walk of life, mm -hmm. you know. Um, maybe people don't don't all understand her because of it. But I'll tell you that uh, I'm very proud of the Democratic Party here in town because more and more the local Democratic Party in the last 12 years has been honest about sticking up for working people who are just struggling to make it back. Most Santa Barbarans, most Santa Barbarans are paycheck or two or three. Yeah. away from being in real trouble yeah. and regardless of their effort. And I and Kathy and others have been part of a tendency in the local Democratic Party to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to be a party that um, that, provide, that provides for the fact that there, there needs to be some opportunity for, for people to make it and that there are economic considerations out there to survive it. And I think that that cleavage in, in politics is, is actually even more important than, than party. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the, in, in town, it's, there is more of a struggle about people um, who are afraid of working people having housing in town um, versus those that 
that are valuing it. And, and I think where I hear discontentment with Kathy doesn't recognize that basic fact yeah. that, that, that the, the politics here is about politics of opportunity um, for working people. And she has been a stalwart and has strongly represented working people and the, the Santa Barbarans that are one or two paychecks away from them. I would say one of the things about Kathy is that uh, she works really hard and she really loves the job and she's got a passion and um, it's tough to cover her sometimes because I feel like she could articulate a message and a point a little more clearer, but that's more of a style thing. Uh, you know, Helene Schneider, I thought was like, she could open up that book and like explain that complicated stuff really quickly. And that was her gift. People have different gifts. So it'll be interesting to see if um, anyone takes on Kathy who's formidable and whether um, she can um, step it up a little bit, you know, because, you know, she had a little bit of turmoil this year for sure. Um, let me, you know, before we go, let me ask you about cannabis, because obviously you're synonymous with that in some circles in terms of the policy and the regulation. Uh, just real quick, are things getting better, worse, the smell, the odor? Can uh, you give me the two minute version of how cannabis is affecting people in the Carpinteria Valley? Well, I think, first of all, well, people need to remember that uh, cannabis existed before Das Williams. <laughs> and, you know, you know, because you grew up here, right here in this backyard, in this area, you know, we grew up in a milieu where cannabis was, marijuana was easier to buy than before, or teenagers. Yeah. And so not everything was hunky-dory until uh, four years ago. Right. Uh, the black market thrived, and right now the black market is not, is, Black market weed is infrastructure for much more dark and horrible things. I went to our coroner's office for a tour because I want to learn everything about the county. And I was shocked at how many bodies were there. And I guess I fell into a stereotype. They're like, yeah, those are. Uh, uh -huh. And I fell into a stereotype. But we're thinking, they were almost like, no, most of those are. And I was shocked at Little Santa Barbara's Corners being stacked with bodies. And so where I came from in marijuana originally is from the simple perspective of let's smash these folks. Society's been trying to smash them with law enforcement totally unsuccessfully, only arresting the low-level folks for the last, I don't know, two generations. Let's get these people where it really hurts, mm -hmm. in their pocketbook. Yeah. Let's take this away from the black market where it is trading in human pain, put it to some productive. I think that's where the most voters are. And if I had any, do I think that every, anything, everything goes off hunky-dory when you totally change something that big in society? It was a rough transition. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but smells getting better in Carpinteria. There are less possible, strange sort of uh, backyard grow problems. There are uh, and if I had any doubt that it was going to be productive and good for Carpinteria, this last year during COVID has really added strength to the idea that marijuana is going to be a good part of the community. During COVID, all, so all of our restaurants in Carpinteria, basically all the ones that are open for lunch are to some degree dependent on the tech businesses um, and their workers buying lunches. Well, when all of them were telecommuting, uh, the floor dropped out yeah. and, and the marijuana farm stepped up. They 
they just decided they were going to buy lunches for all their work. Now, that's a small thing for the county as a whole, but it's a big thing for us. We're not seeing the death of restaurants like the rest of the county. At a much more important level, a countywide level or bigger level, if, if you have enough sheriffs on the street, you have enough child welfare workers to help foster kids or abuse kids, if, if, if we have enough public health personnel to react to things like COVID or other health problems, it is because of marijuana. Really. The sales tax hit, POT hit, is something that is causing governments all over this county and all over the state and all of this country to cut everywhere. Santa Barbara County is holding the line. We're trying to provide an equivalent or better level of service than what we did before COVID. And we're doing that because we have marijuana right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's wrap up. What's what's the future for Doss Williams? Uh, you're going to enjoy a nice little career on the Board of Supervisors until until you're not. Um, do you have higher political aspirations? I think everybody sort of thought you were going to go as far and high as you could. Uh, what, what What's life look like for you politically in the next four or eight, 12 years or so? I think it's hard to look into the future, <laughs> but I, I will say that I'll look into the future by looking into the past. Even though I, I told everybody I was going to run for re-election for a long time, people were, were surprised. They they knew that Hannah Beth's Senate seat was opening up. They knew I loved doing legislative work. A lot of folks just thought, no matter what I said, that I was definitely going to run for it. And I didn't. And I did it, didn't do it for two reasons. One is I am in a long-term relationship with the people of this county. And they had a job for me to do, and it wasn't done. And and then the second reason is I um, I want to be a good father. Most of the divorce rates for legislators is even worse than for my it, it is real bad. It's it's carnage out there. And I want to be a good husband and a good and a good. Now that doesn't mean that I don't love being a legislator. I love representing you. I love fighting particularly hard on climate change and fighting for a, a good higher public ed- higher education system that I think is really the biggest engine of equality and economic um, uh, prosperity that we have as a society. I believe in, in higher education as, a, as an engine of equality and prosperity. And I believe that we have a deep moral need to have a deep moral commitment fighting climate change. And will I want to go back to doing more of that? Someday I will. And What's helping me in the meantime is that I'm representing not only the unincorporated county, but the whole county um, on the Community Choice Aggregations uh, Board, Executive Board. So uh, we are, most of Santa Barbara County is essentially seceding from PG&E and SCP as an energy provider. We are joining a regional energy provider that used to be called Monterey Bay Community Power and is now called 3CE. Um, and that stretches from Santa Cruz County all the way down to Carpentry. And we are going to provide energy for most of Santa Barbara's people, and most of Monterey's people, and most of Santa Cruz people. So I'm really honored. I think I'm one of the seven people on the executive board. Um, so I uh, see everything twice mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, can help shape energy policy and even before we formally joined in the grid, uh, they allowed myself and Kyle, you know, they allowed myself to be seated 
on the policy board, which is a bunch of Trump people, every jurisdiction, as well as Kyle Richards and others from this county. And then uh, they asked me to be on the exec board. And even before we joined in the grid, we're already making massive headway in clean energy, which is just by shaping our purchases to be towards substantive purchase of renewable energy instead of towards uh, renewable energy credits or or carbon-free credits. Mm -hmm. So we are getting the real stuff mm -hmm. to make sure that we can look you in the eye and say, our work is making the world better and making the grid cleaner. And and so that's been that's been what's kind of helped me be from a policy perspective and a policy making perspective happy um, while being on the board is, is that, that dual role. Great. Well, so a little bit of uh, something to look forward to down the line, you know, returning to the legislature. Just uh, don't take the Hawaii trips. Is Jordan, oh, Jordan Cunningham. Never did that. <laughs> no, it's just say it's Jordan Cunningham. Just learned, you know, so. Um. Yeah. Well, I, mean, like, I don't fault, you know, uh, I, I don't fault those guys, but I, I never decided to do that, that trip. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, Sorry, I, bad I, joke. Sorry. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to do it. Um, uh, you know, they, at those conferences, they actually really make, they're so sensitive about how they were reflected and unpopular mm -hmm. that they like, like have these like conferences that are actually chock full of them. Oh, yeah. And so part of the reason why I don't go on those things is because I don't want people to question, you know, whether I am, um, you know, um, faithfully representing the people. But the other reason is I don't want to go to Hawaii to work eight hours. A day. <laughs> you want to be surfing. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to go, I want to go, go, go snorkeling. I don't want to uh, sit in a hotel lobby uh, watching conferences. You know? yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Doss Williams, it's, it's always a pleasure and I appreciate you accommodating me. We can't do these at the studio where I normally do them because we're in the purple tier. And uh, we could have done this remotely and it would have sounded a little better, but it's always great to see you. And uh, we don't see each other enough because we're so busy. And so it's always, you know, no matter what you're doing and what I'm doing, and I can always cover you objectively and fairly and difficult, you know, if I need to. Uh, but um, it's always a pleasure to to sort of see, you know, you in action. So thanks for taking the time to, to come do the podcast. Thank you. Well, this is, I, I enjoyed this. This is more real, more gritty. Um, and uh, it's right, right in our childhood backyard, basically. Yeah. There's something about the air that I just, I love being near where I grew up. You know, I, I've worked in the Bay Area, San Diego. I don't know. I just feel at peace. Like if today were it for me, you know, like this is where I would want to go. It's like right here where I, where I grew up. Keeping it simple and us having the privilege of being in the community that we grew up in is pretty cool. You know, we're lucky that we can, we can do that. So thanks for uh, taking the time and uh, good luck to you. And uh, we'll see you, uh, see what your next move is. So thanks a lot, Doss.